0: Mark chapter 15, verse 16 to 41. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is, the praetorium, and they caught together a whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! Again and again, they struck him on the head with a staff, and spat on him, falling on their knees. They paid homage to him, and when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they let him out to crucify him. A certain man from Sarin, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The reader notice of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by held insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priest and the teacher of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let his Messiah, the King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on the staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now, leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down. He said, With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion, who stood there in front of Jesus, saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene. Mary, the mother of James the Younger, and of Joseph and the Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and had cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there.
1: Good morning, everybody. My name is John Forsythe. I'm the vicar here at St Jude and a particularly warm welcome to you on this Good Friday. If you are a guest here in person or online, we are delighted that you can be with us as we particularly reflect upon what is both a dark day and a good day, the day where we particularly remember the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. This morning I will be doing three brief reflections on the passage rather than one straight sermon, and there'll be moments for us to reflect ourselves personally. Uh, Natalie will uh, highlight what we need to do a little later on, but just to highlight a slightly different approach to those who are here as regular members of St Jude's. In my youth, uh, I lived near a train tunnel, Uh, and being a youth with my friends, we would enjoy walking through the train tunnel at night. It was 800 metres long, and it had a blind corner at the end. What it meant was, within about 10 metres of entering that tunnel, you were in complete and utter darkness. I've actually never experienced darkness like that before or since. It is so dark that we would have to walk and kick the side of the rail just to ensure we were walking in the right direction it was the fear of perhaps a train coming along and the stupidity of being 15 that led me to do such things but there is a sense in which darkness is truly overwhelming and often disorientating the bible tells us that spiritual darkness has the same effect we live in a world that is far too often a dark place we only have to turn on the news or scroll through the internet to see that we live in a world that is desperate for light ukraine afghanistan myanmar these are just a few of the over 30 countries that currently face conflict that are desperate for light And even in our own lives, we have places where we hide our anxieties and our guilt and our shame and our failures and broken relationships. And so often we are only too aware personally of the reality of darkness. And on this Friday, we remember the darkest day where our Lord Jesus Christ was crucified to deal with this world's darkness. Crucifixion, by the way, was actually invented by the Persians, but it was perfected by the Romans. It was designed to be the most humiliating and gruesome method of execution, reserved for the very worst offenders, the scum of the earth, the darkest and most broken people. It was a protracted, bloody, and public spectacle. It involved extreme pain and it ended in a horrible death by shock or asphyxiation. It is interesting as we read through Mark's Gospel, he actually gives us very few details of, my, of our Jesus' crucifixion. In verse 22, we read, There they brought Jesus to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it, and they crucified him. Just a sentence. Mark gives us this brief description, not to deny the physical horrors of the crucifixion, but he wants to draw our attention to the deeper meaning of what's happening behind these events. Because here we have Jesus, the man who has calmed the storm. The man who has healed the sick. The man who has banished demons. The man who has even raised the dead just with a word. The one who, just a week before, had been welcomed into Jerusalem as a king with the crowds cheering. And now the same crowds cheer for his death. The future looked so bright, but it has now become terribly dark. And notice all the crucial events of Jesus' death happen in the dark. Jesus' betrayal happens when? In the dead of night. Jesus stands trial before the Sanhedrin in the dead of night. Jesus is denied three times by Peter before the rooster crows in the darkness. And now at the actual moment of Jesus' death, something inexplicably happens. It's the middle of the day. Darkness descends. We see in verse 33. When it was noon, says Mark, darkness came over the whole land until 3 in the afternoon. That is, between 12pm and and 3pm, Jesus hung there dying, and it was totally dark. It was the middle of the night. Often our pictures of Jesus' uh, uh, crucifixion are, are in daylight. But that's not the case. This is a supernatural darkness. Something profound is going on. It's not a solar eclipse. They happen for just a few minutes. And anyway, the Passover is celebrated during the full moon, which means the moon's in the completely the wrong place. It can't be a dust storm, it's the wrong season in Palestine. It's the rainy season, not the dry season. This is a supernatural darkness. And throughout the Bible, we read that darkness is a sign of God's judgment. Judgment upon the brokenness and sin of his world that he has created. In Amos 5:18 we read woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness and not light. So darkness, brothers and sisters, is a reminder and a call to lament. It's a call for woe. It's a call for God to cry out and act in this dark world. As we look to Mark's Gospel, we see that this darkness also calls to mind the very first Passover recorded for us in the book of Exodus, when God sent plagues as judgment and a warning on Pharaoh that he may let God's people go. In the story of the Exodus, the plague of darkness is the penultimate plague, it's the second last plague before the death of the firstborn. And so here, as darkness descends once more, God is giving a powerful and cosmic sign that he is about to act in terrifying judgment and that another firstborn faces death. And so in verses 33 and 34, we get to the heart of this darkness. When it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. At three o'clock, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is such intimate language. And it is such covenantal language. It's the language that describes a personal relationship with God. The God who says, you will be my people and I will be your God. The longer the love and the deeper the love, the greater the torment of loss. But this is a forsakenness between the Father and the Son who have loved each other from before eternity. Jesus was experiencing the very heart of darkness. He was facing our judgment day, the full wrath of God. You see, Jesus' cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, was not a rhetorical question. The answer is for you, for me, for us. Jesus was forsaken by God so that we do not need to be. The judgment that should have fallen on us falls instead on Jesus. See, spiritual darkness comes when we turn away from God, our true light, and seek to make something else the centre of our lives. Throughout the scriptures, the Bible often refers to God like the sun, not just because the sun is the brightest object from our perspective, but because through it we see actually everything else. It lights up our world, it shows us the way things are. God is the source of all light and truth and life. And the Scriptures say that when we turn from God, we are turning away from truth and turning away from life and turning away from light. And Scripture reminds us that this God will return to judge every action and thought, every longing of our heart. And if there's anything imperfect, any darkness, we cannot remain in his perfect and bright presence. And to be out of the the blessing presence of God, who is all light and all truth, means all darkness and forsakenness. The prophets often described this final day of judgement as a day of darkness. Amos again, in that day, declares the Sovereign Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your religious feasts into mourning and all your singing into weeping. Words written hundreds of years before the death of Christ. Yet speak of the darkness of that day. Brothers and sisters, this is why Jesus had to go to the cross. To face the complete darkness into which we were heading. Jesus died the death we should have died so that we can be saved from this judgment and instead live in the blessed light and perfect presence of God. And so therefore, it is only good that on this Good Friday, above all days, indeed this should be a daily thing, that we come before our great God of light and open our hearts for reflection and confession. And Natalie's going to lead us in a way of doing that. Thanks, Nat.
2: We've heard as John has helped us to reflect on darkness, to reflect on the darkness that we see in our world, to reflect on the darkness that we sometimes see in our own lives, in ourselves. We've heard about the darkness that fell as Jesus hung on the cross in our place, dying the death that we should have died because of our darkness so we're going to take a moment now to reflect a moment to confess to God the darkness of our lives we're going to have an opportunity to bring our wrongdoing to God knowing that because Jesus died the death we deserved we can have full forgiveness from God To help us reflect, we'll have some photos of our Easter artworks come up on the screen. We'll also listen to a song by Christian artist, Nikki Chiswell, it's a song called, Come Near. As you came in, hopefully you all received one of these sheets of paper. If you'd like to take that out now and also to take out a pen, as we hear the music, that Nikki sings, as we hear that invitation to come near to God because he offers us forgiveness, there's an opportunity for you to turn this over and to write on the back anything that you would like to give to God, anything you would like to confess to him, anything you regret. Actions, words, thoughts. And when you've done that, you can fold it up And we'll pray a prayer of confession, but at the end of the service, we'll each have an opportunity to come down the front as we leave, to tear up our sheet of paper, to place it on the black cloth, to remind us that what we confess to God is forgiven, taken away, that Christ had dealt with it in his death on the cross. So right now the artworks are going to come up on the screen, we're going to listen to Nikki's song and you can take this opportunity to write anything you want to leave with God on your sheet of paper. Our welcomers are coming down the aisle with a pen if you'd like one, you can just pop your hand up. Let's come near to God now as we pray. There'll be a prayer up on the screen. I'm going to pray it, but if this is your prayer, please echo it silently in your mind. We're going to pray this quite slowly so that you can reflect and bring it to God yourself. Almighty God, long-suffering and of great goodness, I confess to you with my whole heart my neglect and forgetfulness of your commandments and values. My wrongdoing, things I am ashamed of, my wrong thoughts, my wrong speaking. the hurts I have done to others and the good I have left undone. Oh God, forgive me for I have sinned against you. I am so sorry. Raise me to newness of life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Friends, when we confess our sin, we can be confident of God's forgiveness through Jesus' death on the cross. Let me encourage you with these words from Psalm 103. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Amen.
1: While this day is indeed a dark day, we do see in this darkness a powerful light. We see proof of this in two events... That happen right after Jesus dies. The first happens in verse 38 where we read, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now this curtain in the very heart of the temple, the holy of holies, was the place where God was said to live, to dwell in all his glory and brightness. It was a curtain 30 centimetres thick. It was a sign of separation. No one can enter the holy presence of God. Except for once a year when a high priest would come in fear and trembling to offer sacrifices, which we've looked at in Hebrews. But notice here, in the moment Jesus dies, this barrier that separates a holy God from a sinful people is gone, ripped where? From top to bottom. It is God's work. From top to bottom. The sacrifice to end all sacrifices. The way is now open, it says, for you to come into the holy presence of God without fear. And here's the good news, it means that anyone, anyone who puts their trust in Jesus can approach the true and living God. Anyone can approach the true and living God because our sins have been forgiven. There is no barrier. What a glorious glimpse of light we see in this reading. The second actually is in the very next verse, verse 39. In the words of a centurion who who witnesses the death of Jesus right up close and personal. His words, Truly, this man was the Son of God. It is a momentous declaration. Uh, One of the reasons is, all the way through Mark's gospel, one of the big questions people have been wrestling with is, who is Jesus? Jesus, by the way, is a common first name. It's not not that unusual. It's, It's like Joshua. But who is this man called Jesus? People have been trying to work it out. And here we have finally this Roman centurion who supervised Jesus' death finally declares the truth. The Son of God. Now what makes this even more remarkable is of course, he's a Roman citizen. He's a complete outsider. He's an enemy of God's people. He's the oppressor. He's the coloniser. He's the last person you would expect to recognise what is going on. Every Roman coin at this time was inscribed with the words, Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus. In other words, there's only one person a good Roman citizen would dare to call the son of God, and that was Caesar. The person whom this centurion is serving was a son of God. Yet this centurion, a hard and brutal man, a man who undoubtedly had seen many deaths and crucifixions, he sees something unique in Jesus' death and declares with absolute confidence, aloud because others can hear it, boldly, this man was the son of God not. Caesar is the implication. Something has penetrated this man's spiritual darkness. In the darkest hour, he sees the light of the world and is the first person in Mark's gospel to declare Jesus' divinity. And the hidden question here, the assumed question for us is, well, the centurion saw who Jesus was, do you see who Jesus is? Because there are lots of options for you. Is he a, a, good, a good moral teacher? A good role model, particularly for my children, right? Not so much for me. Or do you, like the centurion, see him as he truly is, the son of of God who gave his life for you. Because Christianity is the only religious faith that says God himself actually suffered and cried out in that suffering. Because initially Jesus' followers saw the cross as everyone at the time would have seen it. A, A senseless end, a life finished, a light extinguished. That's an understandable view of the cross. But yet, they came to realise that Jesus' suffering and his death was of immense good. So much so that they called the day he died good. Because when we look at the cross, we're looking right at God's greatest act of love and power and mercy, and justice in the history of our world. God himself came into this world and suffered and died on the cross to save you and me. See, the cross is the ultimate proof of God's love for you. The cross is the only means by which he could truly save us. Because here's the truth, brothers and sisters, it was not the nails that held Jesus to the cross. His hands created stars and flung them into space. Do you think a couple of rusty nails are going to hold him there? It was his love for you that held him to the cross. Jesus not only died the death that we should have died, but lived the life that we can't and has taken our place in the darkness. And so it doesn't matter who you are, whether you are a centurion, welcome, a lawyer, a teacher, a student, retired, a mother, a minister, someone visiting who's just interested in learning about what Jesus is about, know for certain this morning that the curtain has been torn from top to bottom. The barrier between you and God is gone and there is grace and forgiveness. And when you hear Jesus cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Understand that that cry was for you. And like the centurion, pray that it will melt your hard heart. And that you will see Jesus and have your eyes opened to him as the one who brings light and brings you from darkness to light. The good news is because of Jesus' death, evil is a passing thing. It is a shadow. There is light and beauty forever that is beyond its reach because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. What this means is as we gather today, we know that it brings light to a dark world. And that means that we can gather together and think of a death of our Lord and Master and God, the darkest day in history, and yet call it good. I'm going to pray that we, like the centurion, will have our eyes open to see this Jesus for who he is, and then we're going to stand and sing in response. Our gracious Heavenly Father, on this Good Friday as we once again reflect upon the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and the utter darkness that he faced, we cannot help but have our hearts broken by our own sin. We pray, Father, that like the centurion, your spirit will open our eyes to see who Jesus really is, to see him as the son of God who gave his life as a ransom for many. So we can boldly declare that this darkest day is indeed a good Friday. And we pray this in your son's precious name. Amen.